So open your Bible, if you would, to the book of Psalms, and it's my privilege to get to introduce our guest preacher. Uh, Steve Teeter is the senior pastor of a sister church of ours in Franklin, West Virginia. Uh, and if you've been here for any length of time, you have heard him come before and preach before. Uh, Steve uh, serves, in addition to his role as lead pastor over there, uh, he also has a heart particularly for our church. Uh, he's our regional leader, we call it, in Sovereign Grace. We've got eight churches in our region. Uh, Steve helps provide leadership over those eight churches. Um, Sean and I are particularly grateful for Steve, mm. for his, this is how it works, for his friendship. Because he's, he's, a, he's an older brother in the Lord, a mature brother in the Lord that we can call and, and get counsel from, know that he's going to be praying for us. So we're going to enjoy this time. Later on this afternoon, Sean and I are going to take him out to lunch and just pick his brain for a couple hours and get his counsel <laughs> and advice. Uh, it is good to have somebody up the road ahead uh, that we can look to and, and ask for, for wisdom and advice. And I am eager for you to be able to benefit from him sharing God's word with you. So Steve, if you could come on up. Let's welcome him together. Well, thank you, buddy. So blessed to be here this morning. Am I on? All right. This morning I asked Siri, I said, Siri, give me directions to Mercy Hill Church. And she said, getting directions to Mercy Hill Community Church. I said, that's right, community. And I was thinking about that, reminded that as we were worshiping this morning and hearing all that's taking place here and welcoming the graduates and honoring them. Uh, the Holy Spirit makes a community, Amen. And, and as we were worshiping today, I thought, this is, a, this is not just a church. This is a community church. A church is filled with community, and that is the gift of God to you guys. It's also a joy this morning as I was coming up the road, driving about two hours and 45 minutes away. We're over in West Virginia. I was praying for the Wendell Myers, and about an hour into it, as I was praying for them, I thought, they might be there today. <laughs> so not only is it a blessing to be with you who are God's people, who are our community. It's a blessing to be here because the Windermeyers are here this morning. And we as a church in West Virginia are so deeply grateful for you, for providing them and allowing us to join with you and with other churches in our region to support this couple in Southeast Asia. This might be their home church, but we claim second, all right? <laughs> <laughs> you got shotgun, but we're right there next to you. And, and we... Literally, we love them, and they're so glad to see you guys here this morning. We really are. So I say that, and I guess I could say it as regional leader, you are a gift, not only to this area, but to our region, and we thank God for you. Thank God for you as a local church in West Virginia. It's, it's amazing that we, in our little community, our community is 800 people, but with you and other churches in our region, we get to do missions together, build relationships together, do youth camp together, do missions in Africa and Southeast Asia and, and South America, it is amazing God's grace that he's poured out for us as a group of churches. I thank God for you. This morning we're going to look at Psalm 115, and I hope it will encourage your faith. And this morning for in the introduction, we are going to read this psalm together as a corporate psalm because it is a corporate psalm, so, psalm, so they're going to put it up here, I think, on the overheads. They're going to project this. We're going to have parts that are all of us going to read together. 
parts that I'm going to read, parts that you're going to read. Is it up there? Is it going to be up there? There you go. So I'm going to read parts. You're going to read parts. We're going to read parts together. We'll begin them together. And uh, you'll get a feel for this psalm as we read it together. So let's all read together, beginning with the first verse. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. O Israel, trust in the Lord. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. I need the Lord's help as I share this morning, and may the Lord speak to all of our hearts. Let's bow our heads. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Lord, we are so grateful that you have allowed us to come together this morning. Lord, to sing your praises. I pray you'll take this psalm and you'll encourage the hearts of each person here, wherever they are right now, however they enter this building, whether full of victory and joy or, Lord, full of sadness and sorrow. Lord, we pray that you will encourage each one by your spirit through this word. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. And so Psalm 115 is a corporate psalm. It begins with God's people corporately crying out to the Lord to vindicate his honor. Today we're going to learn that the Lord is the one true God, faithful to bless his people, and they will praise him. And we're going to look at under three topics. Here are the three topics. First is going to be the cry of God's redeemed. Second is going to be our Lord is the only true God. And thirdly, the Lord will bless his people and we will praise him. So the cry of God's redeemed. The psalm, as you see, begins with God's people crying out to the Lord to vindicate his honor by displaying his glory to the nations. And we're not giving any, given any context for this psalm. We don't know the occasion why it was written. We know, we know from history, William Wilberforce meditated on the first part of the first verse after passing the bill, after many decades, the bill of abolishing the slave trade was passed. He said, not to us. He meditated on not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. It's certainly a cry of people in need of deliverance. 
as you begin to read the first couple of verses of this psalm, you realize these are people probably in need of deliverance. It could be maybe it was written during this, the Babylonian captivity when they had the nation of Babylon around the people of Israel, and they're crying these words out. But would you not agree, as you read the introductory verse of this psalm, that it communicates the heart of the Lord's redeemed, wherever they are, and throughout history, in all the ages, as we live in the midst of a world around us, Psalm 10, 10 this morning read about it, a world around us that prompts the people of God and is often contemptible towards us, whether it be Babylon in the Old Testament or Rome in the New or in 21st century secular America. Don't, God, don't we cry out, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, Give glory. Give glory. And you'll notice that this psalm is not some ecumenical group praying. It's not some ecumenical gathering of people from all kinds of faiths praying to a generic God, asking him to do a generic act on behalf of an arbitrary people. That's not what they are praying. These are God's covenant people crying out to their God to glorify his name by displaying steadfast love and faithfulness to those admittedly unworthy people who dare trust and believe in him. That's what the cry is. For God's covenant people to cry out to the one true Lord, and they know who he is. He is the one filled with loving kindness and faithfulness. And they know that, and we know it too as well. Remember after the debacle of the golden calf, and the Lord says, I'm going to begin again, Moses. I'm going to begin again with you. And Moses said, oh, no, Lord, don't. Don't, you can't do that. What will the nation say? And the Lord says, will you go? And Moses says, don't you send us unless you go with us. And the Lord says, I will go with you. And Moses says, what? Show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will, put, I will show you my glory. I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll put you in a crack of the rock. And all my goodness will pass before you. And I will proclaim my name. And here's what he proclaimed. This is what the Lord, this is his name that he proclaimed to Moses. The covenant people know this about their God. He proclaimed, passing by, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is his name. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. I'm going to proclaim my name, and here's my name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow in anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's my name. That's my name. So the people are asking the one true God to bring glory to his name by displaying his steadfast love and faithfulness to them before the nations. That's how God's going to give glory to himself, by proving once again his steadfast love and faithfulness to his people. That's the prayer. And they say, why should the nations say, where is their God? Why should the nation say that? Why should they say, if their God's real, where is he? 
Maybe he's not powerful enough to care for his people. If he loves them so much, why are they often in such a sorry state, those people? And we feel that in the world around us as well, don't we? We feel like we're just these people of God. They're not the movers and shakers. Where is their God? We don't see him and we don't observe his power. Perhaps he's just a figment of their imagination. Why should the people say, why should the nation say, where is their God? Lord, not to us, not to us, but to your name. Give glory before the nations. Now, at this point, this psalm takes a turn. Our Lord, we know, is the only true God. We know that as God's people. We sang about this morning. We believe this, don't we? He's the only true God. And so as you read this psalm, you find out they begin to encourage themselves and also take it to those who would say, where is your God? We know better. Where is your God, you ask? Our God is in the heavens. That's where he is. Our God is in the heavens, meaning he is not bound to earth. Our God is in the heavens. He's the eternally self-existent, self-derived being who is dependent on no one. That's our God. That's our God. Our God is in the heavens. He is eternal. He is uncreated. He is I am. He, that's who our God is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You might not see it with us right now. You might observe God's people and say, where is this God? Let me tell you who he is. He is a great I am, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. And by the way, second point, our God does all that he pleases. He does all. It doesn't say he does whatever he pleases. It says he does all that he pleases. All that he pleases. In other words, he is not unencumbered by anything. He is unstoppable by anyone. He is not he, no one can stop him. He is no prisoner of circumstances. He is omniscient in his understanding. He is omnipotent in his power. He is unassailably, unassailably free to do all he desires. That's who our God is. So they begin by questioning. They begin by making this statement to God, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. And in the answer to those who say, where is your God? They say, our God's in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. And then they say, how about your gods? Let's, let's, let's talk about your gods. You who pour out contempt on us, you ask, where is ours? Let's talk about yours. Let's talk about your God. Let's contrast the God, our God, that you cannot see with your gods who are easily observed. And they are easily observed. Where do they originate? Where do your gods originate? Peoples of the nations. What is their nature? What are their capabilities? What is the extent of their power? And it doesn't matter if you're in Southeast Asia where they have physical gods or whether you're in America, secular America, there are gods of this world that people worship. Thus follows the devastating takedown of the gods of this world. And that's what you see in these next verses, the devastating takedown 
of the gods of this world. Their idols are the works of human hands. Man is their creator. Even the veneer of precious metals, silver and gold, are dug out of the dirt of the earth. That's the origin. That's the origin. The creature man gives every bit of shape to the gods of this world. Every bit of shape. And look how powerful the idols of this world are. They have mouths, yeah. They have eyes. They have ears. They have noses. They do not speak. They do not see. They do not hear. They do not smell. They have all these things. When I was a little kid, <clears throat> we, got our, we got Christmas gifts. I have five brothers and sisters and our parents, and my mom thought, you need to, we didn't just pick names. We had to give gifts to everyone in the family, right? I shouldn't say we had to. We got to give gifts to everyone in the family. And for a kid that doesn't have much money, you know, we, I, I, like to spend, I like to spend the money on fishing things and things like that. So and the allowance wasn't that great. It came time for Christmas. I one, remember one year I bought my mom a fabulous gift. It was a red ceramic cardinal about this tall. Probably cost me 25 cents. Got at Woolworths, if anybody ever remembers where Woolworths was. It never made it home in one piece. I broke it. I broke off its nose on the way home. I'm sure I was fiddling with it. It had a mouth but did not speak. It had ears but did not hear. It had eyes but did not see. And it got broken before I got it home. For my wife and myself, for our 40th anniversary, we got, I've never said, I've never been to Europe. And her sister said, hey, we have three couples going on a river cruise. We need a fourth couple. My wife says, I mean, you can't, you can't tell your wife you're not going on a river cruise with her sister, right? She wants to go. So we, we agreed to go on a river cru cruise down the Danube, but we went to Vienna. And in Vienna, we went to a museum that, that houses the, some of the wealth of the Habsburg Empire. And one of the most memorable items in this museum, which I could have, I'm, I'm not a museum. We don't have a lot of museums in Franklin, West Virginia. Okay? <laughs> I can think of one right now that take me about 10 minutes to get through it. Um, but this phenomenal museum, and it, filled with precious articles. But one was this gold, um, I'll tell you what it was. It was a gold uh, it wasn't a salt and pepper shaker. It was a gold um, uh, item that where you could scoop out salt and pepper. But the figures on this item were a male and a female that were hammered out in gold, and it was the most amazing, beautiful object, one of the most amazing, beautiful objects I've ever seen. It was phenomenal. It was priceless. There was no value. They said, what's it worth? They said, there is no value to it. It's one of a kind. Here's the reality. That item had so much value, some, some craftsman created it, one of a kind for the Habsburg Empire. And my 25-cent ceramic cardinal with the nose broken off had much in common with what we're reading about here. It did not see. And one was valuable. One was infinite value. The other one was a ceramic little product but in the essence they were all the same they're inanimate objects created by man by human hands yeah one was valuable the other one but they were the same thing just more valuable 
one, one went deeper into the dirt to get the precious metals than the other. You got it? You see, what, the, what in Psalm 115, what they're doing is they're saying, let's look at your gods. And as they look at your gods, it magnifies even more the true God of the universe, the one true God of the universe. There is no one like him. There is nothing like him. These gods, they have, these gods, they have hands that do not feel. They have feet that do not walk. The gods around us have throats that can't even make a sound. There's a comprehensive list of seven charges, comprehensively, seven charges, and says, here are your gods. Here they are. Here's your gods. Now, Isaiah 44 gives us a couple other pictures about the, these kind of idols. He pictures, in one picture, he, uh, Isaiah pictures an ironsmith, actually it's the Lord taking pictures, an ironsmith taking a cutting tool and creating an idol over the coals. He's making his God, and as he's making his God, he's hammering everything into place. And as he's hammering everything into place, it takes a while, and he gets hungry. Man, I'm getting hungry, making this God of mine. And then he gets thirsty, it says, but he won't take anything to drink because he's busy creating his God, and he's almost faint. Maybe I should get something to drink. No, I can't, because I've got to finish this God so I can worship it. How crazy, huh? The other picture is of a man, who, a carpenter, a man who chooses a log. He takes half of it, and he fashions it into the idol. And then Isaiah says, he falls down before it and says, deliver me, for you are my God. And then he takes the other half of the log, he splits it up, builds a fire, warms himself, and bakes his bread. And we just hope he got the right half of the, the log for the right half, right? In Isaiah 46, the Lord says, the eyes of the nations around you, the people must carry them about. But you, O Israel, your God carries you. When it comes to idols, they have feet, they have legs, they cannot move, so the people must carry them. But you, Israel, I've carried you. I'm a God who carries his people. He's a God who holds us fast. We don't hold on to him. He holds on to us. Amen? This is the God that we serve. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Your God is of the earth and can do nothing. And you wonder about our gods? You wonder about the one that we worship? See, this morning, this should give you a little bit of confidence about the God that we serve. Amen? The world around us, the sec increasingly secular world around us can impugn us, they can taunt us, but our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. That's who we serve. And here's the sad reality about those who worship these deaf, dumb, and blind idols. Those who worship them become like them. Those who worship them become like them, spiritually deaf, dumb and blind and imperceptive of the one true God. And Romans 1 says it this way. The eternal God of heaven who does all that, he's pleased, all that he pleases, his eternal power and divine nature can be clearly seen or clearly perceived ever since creation 
through the world, through the, through the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. Let me read that again. The God of the heavens, the one that we serve, the one that we follow, his eternal power and divine nature can be clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Everyone can look around them and say, this just didn't happen by chance. There's an awesome God who created the universe. But those who follow idols, those who follow false gods, Paul continues on in Romans and says, they become futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts are darkened. Claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The idols men follow, what they look like might change. I've been to India. I've seen the rooster god and the rat god seen the Hindu gods, been to Burma, seen the Shwedagong pagoda, this pagoda with dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds. Fred's shaking his head. A phenomenally beautiful place. And there lay the Buddhas, not speaking, not hearing, not touching. And those who worship them become like them. If they just look beyond the pagoda, which is a phenomenal pagoda, 150-foot-high pagoda filled with and you have a magnifying glass that looks so jewels and all these things. If they just look beyond that to the heavens, they would see the glory of God. And folks, that's the God we serve. That's the God we cry out and say, Lord, glorify your name through showing us your steadfast love through your loving kindness and steadfastness, Lord, your faithfulness, Lord, show us, show the glory to the world around us. So it begins with a cry, but then as they cry out, they begin to look at the gods around them and realize there is no one like our God. Not even close, not even the same nature. The gods of this world are nothing. They are inanimate. And this causes the people to speak confidently about this God they serve. The Lord will bless his people, and we will praise him. Look at verses 9 to 11. O Israel, now the exhortation comes. Considering our God, considering their God, O Israel, trust in the Lord. It might not be great right now, but I'll tell you what, trust in the Lord. You might not see his power at the moment, power in your life at the moment, but trust in the Lord. That Lord is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. O Israel, trust in the Lord in the midst of Babylon. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He, he is their help and their shield, their help and their protector. Then, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You priests, you who minister before God, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord. You fear the Lord? You honor him, you reverence him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And then this verse, the Lord has remembered. The Lord has remembered us. Now, some would say, well, at that point, there have been deliverance. I don't think so, because he says the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. They haven't seen it yet, but the Lord has remembered. He doesn't forget us, folks. Our names are written on his hands. 
He does not forget us. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. And look what it says. It goes right back down the list. He will bless Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great, both small and the great, both the great and the small, no matter who you are here today. If your hope is in the Lord, you might feel rather small. But if you're hoping in the Lord, he will bless you. I promise you this. Listen, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm not going to say riches will be yours. I'm not going to say that. But I will say this. I'm a blessing preacher. He will bless you. In the end, it will go well with you. For all of eternity, it will go well with you. I have a friend right now laying in the hospital. He's has, he has sarcoidosis. He's had it for a number of years. He's been in a nursing home for eight years. I played football with him. He was about 185 pounds as a fullback, was a linebacker. He's one year older than me, and I've visited visiting him for years. What do you say to a man like that who can no longer walk, who will not walk unless the Lord miraculously heals him, and he can heal him? What hope do you give him? I say, he will bless you. In the end, it will be well with you. Why? Because your God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He does all that he pleases. So you hear these confident exhortations, and then you see this prayer in the next verse. They just begin to pray. May the Lord give you increase. Mercy Hill, people of the Lord. May the Lord give you increase. You see, the faith is stirred up. You don't pray unless you're full of faith. By this time, they are filled with faith, and they are praying, may the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord. Who? There it is again. Is not of the earth. Thank the Lord he's not of the earth, huh? He, he, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. And if he made heaven and earth, it is no problem for him to turn everything right around, either in this life, but he will in the life to come for sure. That is the God that we serve. I hope this stirs your faith this morning. I hope it does. And the response you see in Verses 16 through 18. The heavens are the Lord's. Yes, they are. They're the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. There's a stewardship. There is something that God has given us. There is a, a sphere in which we dwell. The dead don't praise the Lord, nor do those who go down into silence. I know where that is. But we, his people, who know his name, we, his people, who know of his steadfast love and faithfulness, neither we are neither dead nor down the place of silence. We are his people who are living on this earth. We will bless the Lord. As you did this morning, we will bless the Lord. And he says, from this time forth, and doesn't it honor the Lord when we bless him, when we've yet to see him pour out in a specific way, in the moment, blessing our lives. We're waiting. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to, believe, to please God because those who must please, believe in him must believe. <laughs> Without faith, it is impossible to please God for those who believe in him must believe that he exists and that he what? We have to believe he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Because you see, when we believe that he rewards, we believe that he is steadfast, he is filled with steadfast love and faithfulness to his people. You trust me. You trust me when you see it. You trust me when you don't. 
That glorifies, that honors the Lord. These people, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, and it ends up, praise the Lord. Now, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. How much more this psalm is true for us today than when it was written? The true God became flesh and dwelt among us. The book of Hebrews says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Think about that. That's who Jesus was. That's who he is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have the image of God. And this image of God, unlike the images, of the false images of this world, he had eyes that saw the sick, saw those oppressed of the devil, saw those bound by sin. He had ears that listened to the cries of the humble, heard the widow, who listened to the centurion, healed his, child, healed his child. He had ears that heard the cross, or heard the thief on the cross next to him. This is our God. This is our God. He had a mouth that spoke the words of eternal life. When a religious man came to him in the middle of the night and said, what must I do to the enemy the of God? He spoke to him and told him how to get there. And shortly after following, going through Samaria, when a woman said, give me some of that water, he said, I'll give you water that'll last you to eternity. He had a mouth that spoke the words of God. He had feet to walk the road that we walk. We have a great high priest who's experienced all that we experience. He's familiar with our suffering. He's familiar with our temptations. We can go to him because he's walked our road and he knows our pain, as the song says. That's the God we have. And he had hands that not only healed the sick, touched, healed the sick, he touched lepers. Son of God touched lepers, reached out and touched the leper. He opened the eyes of the blind and those same hands that were so alive were pierced for our transgressions. That's our God. That's the God that we serve. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. And what pleased the Lord? King James says it this way, it pleased the Lord to crush him. Think about that. It pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased the Lord to lay on him the iniquity of us all. It pleased the Lord that the righteous one, his servant, would make the many to be counted righteous and to bear their iniquities. This is the God we serve, who does all that he pleases, and it pleased him to save sinners through his Son. And it pleased the Lord, and each of us who are Christians can say this, it pleased the Lord that when we were, we were yet dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and to raise us up with him and seat us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what pleased him. If you're a Christian, it pleased God to save your soul through his son. What a God we serve, amen? What a, that's why we sing. If you're a guest here, you say, why do these people sing like that? I had a friend who came to our church. She was, she was new age. 
she became she has become a friend. She came into our church and we we worshipped. She did not know about Christ and the gospel, but she began, began weep. She told me she said I began weeping the first time there. Why? Because of this. This is why we're singing from our hearts to our living God who's in the heavens and who sent his son on the earth. And we have behold, we have seen his glory. Amen. We have seen his glory, right? We have seen it. And it pleases the Lord. This is what's amazing. It pleases the Lord to intercede on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. And it pleases the Lord that in the coming ages, it will please him to pour out. This is what Ephesians 5, 7 says. It pleases the Lord in the coming ages to pour out the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What that means is the Lord, it pleases him to have us with him forever and to share in all of his goodness. It pleases him to pour out his grace upon us for all eternity. What a God we serve. What a living God we serve. Our God is in the heavens. And it pleases him to show steadfast love and faithfulness to all who put their trust in him. And I would say this, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you can know this God. He can be your God. If you turn from your idols or whatever you love more than him, and you repent and turn around, and that's what repentance means, you turn around and say, you are the true God. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be your child. You can be his child today. And you can join this church as they proclaim, as they sing each Sunday and say, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness, bring glory to your name. Pour out your blessings on your people.